You're listening to the Metamore City Podcast, episode 34, for January 25th, 2009. Warning. This episode contains mature themes and adult language. Listener discretion is advised. Metamore City, a podcast series created by Chris Lester. For more information, please visit www.metamorecity.com. Hey there, ladies and gents. Welcome back to the Metamore City Podcast. I am your host, Chris Lester, and we are running down to the wire on this one, guys. It is Saturday night before this episode is supposed to go live, and I still have not done any of the mixing yet. So I'm going to keep this short and sweet. Here is chapter 24 of Making the Cut, and here to introduce it is my good friend Nobilis from the Nobilis Erotica podcast. Take it away, man. Hi, this is Nobilis, the creator and writer of the Nobilis Erotica podcast. You can find that at nobilis.libson.com. I'm also the creator and compiler of the Pieces novella available at patiobooks.com. And this is the story so far. In chapter 23... Psy-Collective Elder Miriam Bactivar had fallen into the hands of Malcolm Ardvalos, the vampire prince of Metamore City. After being turned into a vampire herself by Braddock, Malcolm's right-hand man, Miriam found herself bound into the hierarchy of dominance and submission that governs the vampire society. Malcolm explained his plan to use Miriam as a mole within the Collective, since her psychometabolic powers allowed her to mimic a living person in spite of her undead body. Malcolm also gave Miriam her first thrall, a battered, traumatized half-elf who had been reduced to a nearly mindless state by the vampire's repeated abuse. Malcolm told Miriam that she was free to do anything she wanted to the thrall, anything, that is, except set her free. After her audience with Malcolm, Braddock took Miriam down to an apartment lower in the tower, which would serve as a safe house for her and her new thralls. Braddock was about to leave her when he realized that she intended to commit suicide as soon as the sun rose. Furious, Braddock placed a compulsion on her to prevent her from killing herself or allowing anyone else to do so. After raping and beating her, he left her alone. Miriam awoke to find her new thrall by her side, begging her to drink some of her blood. Miriam didn't understand this until the thrall explained that Miriam needed to feed while she could still control her bloodlust. If she waited too long, the hunger would drive her insane, and she would probably kill the thrall in the process of sating it. Miriam finally relented, and the thrall, whose name was Lena, showed her how to take her blood safely. The act of sharing opened a link between the two women's minds, giving Miriam access to Lena's memories. And Chris, you're a fucking son of a bitch. Chapter 24 Then A knock sounded at the door to Lena's office. She slid a bookmark into the medical journal she was reading, then put on her glasses and turned to the door. It's open. Timothy burst in, waving a handful of printouts, a jubilant expression on his face. The whalish man was still in his lab coat and had his safety goggles hanging around his neck. The new test results just came in, he said, passing her the stack of paper. Lena pushed her glasses up onto her forehead and scanned through the printouts. Gods! She murmured, suddenly understanding the reason for her partner's excitement. Timothy, am I reading this right? The new Cranning assay is 97% accurate, Timothy said, grinning like a fool. The best arcane assays on the market come in at 99. Lena laughed. (laughs) I'll take a 2% drop in accuracy for a 95% drop in cost. Gods be praised, Tim. This is going to help so many people. Impulsively, she hugged him, planting a kiss on his neck. When she looked back at him again, he was blushing, but his grin had gotten even wider. Time to contact the Red Spiral? Hells yes! Lena spread out the papers on her desk and took a closer look at the graphs and data tables. They had finally done it. After two years of work, they had an assay for Cranning Syndrome that was cheap, effective, and required no magic to function. A neurogenerative disease caused by a defect in human chromosome 14, Cranning Syndrome killed over a million people every year, mostly in developing nations. 
The disease could be treated successfully if it was caught early enough, but the magic assays that could detect it in the early stages were too expensive for many people to afford. Now that they had an affordable alternative, the International Red Spiral would be able to identify people at risk of developing the disease and provide treatment where it was most needed. Even better, they could identify carriers of Krenning syndrome and make sure that they didn't pass on the disease to their children. We're really doing it, Tim. We said we were going to change the world, and we're doing it. Your mom would be proud, Lily. Tim clapped a hand on her shoulder. Now get to work, Miss CEO. Unless you want me to handle the public relations. Gods forbid, Lena said, laughing. She reached over and ruffled his dark, curly hair. I want you to go back to the lab and tell the troops that we're going live with this immediately. This place is going to be swarming with reporters within 24 hours, and I want to make sure everybody's presentable. Tim chuckled. Got it. No t-shirts, no ratty jeans, and no scary piercings. Anything else? Yes. Lena said, dropping her voice into a sensual purr. Find us a bottle of good Sathmore and whiskey. I feel like celebrating tonight. Tim's dark eyes sparkled, and he gave Lena a mock salute. Aye, aye, ma'am. As you say it, it shall be done. As he left, Lena sat down at her computer to begin crafting their first press release. Seraph Diagnostic Solutions was about to become very big news. Lena stepped into the parlor of Malcolm Ardvalos, blinking at the bright lights that bathed the all-white room. The investment tycoon and the world's third richest person rose from his throne-like chair as she entered. He smiled, captivating her with his handsome features and compelling eyes. Seralina Greyhaven, Ardvalos said warmly, extending his hand. Thank you for agreeing to meet with me. She took his hand and shook it firmly. It's an honor, sir. He gestured at one of the couches. Please, have a seat. Can I interest you in some refreshment? Wine or tea, perhaps? Tea would be lovely, thank you. She sat down on the nearest couch and smoothed the fabric of her dress slacks. It was her best outfit, but Ardvalos's exquisitely tailored suit made her feel underdressed. One of Ardvalos's employees brought in the tea service and poured cups for both of them. When they were alone once more, Lena quirked an eyebrow at the man before her. So, to what do I owe this invitation, Mr. Ardvalos? He chuckled. Well, as you're no doubt aware, you've been in the news quite a bit lately, Miss Greyhaven. Seraph Diagnostic Solutions is being hailed all over the Empire as a pioneer in the field of medical technology. Now, as it happens, finding young pioneers and fostering their development is something of a specialty of mine. It seemed to me that it would behoove both of us if we were to sit down and talk about the possibilities for Seraph's future. He opened his briefcase and handed her a folder. Inside was a detailed plan for a business partnership between Seraph and one of Ardvalis's holding companies. He spent the next hour walking her through the details of the proposal, but the basic concept was simple. He would buy out Lena and Timothy's ownership in the company for the sum of 10 million marks, each. They would stay on board as the president and head of research and development, respectively. They would be paid in salary and stock options, but Ardvalos would retain the controlling interest in the company. Manufacturing of Seraph's assay kits would be taken over by one of his other medical technology firms, which was better equipped for mass production, while Seraph would continue on primarily as an R&D firm. It was a very attractive package, one that would set Lena and Timothy for life. But as Ardvalos finished his presentation, one thing still nagged at Lena. These financial projections don't look right to me. She pointed at a table of estimated production and revenue over the next 20 years. Look here, in five years you have our production increasing 30-fold, but the increase in revenue is almost 200-fold. Ardvalos peered at the table for a moment, then nodded. Ah, yes. There were a couple of reasons for that. One is simple economy of scale. We can manufacture your assay kits for a much smaller per-unit cost because of our larger facilities. Yes, I can see that. Lena pointed at another table that showed the breakdown of gross revenue, expenses, and net profits. But the overhead isn't going down nearly that much. True. The revenue projections assume an average sale price of 100 marks for the assay kit. Lena's eyes widened. We were only planning to sell the kits for 20. 
It shouldn't cost more than 13 to make them. Probably no more than 10, with the kind of production facilities you're talking about. Yes, but the arcane assay kits currently being used for Cranning Syndrome sell for an average of 400 marks. We'll still be undercutting the market by a huge margin. Lena sat back in her seat and tried to keep the anger out of her voice. Mr. Ardvalos, a large percentage of the world's sufferers of Cranning Syndrome cannot afford the current assay kits. Even 20 marks is a substantial investment for these people. Setting the price at 100 would put it completely outside of their means. He smiled and raised a finger. I anticipated this objection, and I have a counterpoint. He pulled out another folder and passed it to her. We're prepared to enter an exclusive partnership with the Church of Eternal Brotherhood to make these assay kits available at cost in developing nations. With the added efficiency of working through a single large distributor, we could meet the needs of all the major cranning-afflicted regions, and still triple our per-unit profits on sales within the Empire and Quinardia. Lena frowned and took a closer look at the figures. They all seemed to add up, but... Mr. Ardvalos, I've got to be honest. I'm really not comfortable with tying the craning test to a single religious organization. I respect your right to your beliefs, sir, but I'm not a member of the CEB. I don't think I like the idea that people might have to listen to their proselytizing before they can be tested for the disease. Ardvalos' face darkened. Miss Greyhaven, you wound me. You would suggest that my faith would withhold medicine to compel people to convert? Even that mild admonishment was enough to make Lena want to cringe, but she raised her chin and held her ground. You have to admit that it will be a temptation for them. Every evangelistic religion uses charity as a tool for conversion. I'd prefer to work with a secular institution, like the International Red Spiral, and let the religious charities partner with them if they want to help. Ardvalos grimaced. I have my own issues with the Red Spiral, I'm afraid. That organization has always been a college pet project. If you don't like working with religious charities, how can you trust a charity being run by a fallen goddess? Lena shrugged. She doesn't seem all that interested in getting people to worship her these days. Perhaps not, but I still can't envision a working partnership between her organization and mine. Why? Because her followers used to hunt vampires for a living? You're kind of been protected for 300 years. It's a little late to be holding grudges, don't you think? The room fell into sudden, deathly silence. Malcolm Ardvalo stared at her fixedly his lips thinning as he pressed them tightly together. Lena could feel him trying to exert his will over her, but she kept her emotions under control and looked back at him steadily. I'm not a fool, Mr. Ardvalos. I never go into a meeting without knowing who I'm dealing with. And the truth about you is not as well hidden as you'd like to believe. He paused a moment before speaking. You would do well to keep that to yourself. His voice was barely above a whisper, but the hint of menace was unmistakable. Lena got to her feet. I'm sorry, Mr. Ardvalos, but I'm afraid this isn't going to work. In my experience, threats rarely make for good business partnerships. She turned to go, but was stopped by a hand on her shoulder. She spun around, intending to slap him, but he just held the folders out to her with a grave expression. Forgive me, Miss Greyhaven. You caught me off guard and I forgot my manners. Please, take the proposals and discuss them with your partner. There may be room for some flexibility in the particulars, provided that you don't wait too long to get back to me. He raised his eyebrows slightly. You aren't likely to get a better offer than this from anyone else. I hope you'll think on it before you give me a final answer. She said nothing, but she took the folders with her before walking out. Once she was inside the lift, she collapsed against the wall and took several long, heavy breaths. She reached inside her shirt and pulled out the amulet that she had purchased to protect herself against the vampire's domination gaze. The enchantment was supposed to be first-rate, made right here in Metamore City, and even then it almost hadn't been strong enough. No. I don't care if he's offering me the world itself on a silver platter. Malcolm Ardvalos will get nothing from me. What do you mean they're pulling out? Just what it sounds like, Timothy said, sounding disgusted. Word got around that you snubbed Malcolm Arvalos, and now the investors are spooked. He's warning all his buddies that you're an egomaniac who wants to save the world, 
but only if you get the credit for it. Says you're gonna run the company right into the ground. And they bought that? He's Malcolm fucking Ardvalos, Lily. He could say the sky is green and they'd believe it. She buried her head in her hands. Damn it, damn it, damn it. How much money do we have left? We can keep the doors open for another two months. We might stretch that to six, if we close the lab and just keep the office staff. No. These people gave up their careers to join us. I am not leaving them out in the cold. Tim crossed his arms. Then you'd better find us a new backer fast, Lena, because it's getting pretty damned cold in here already. Lena picked up the phone. Hello. Her voice sounded dead, even to her own ears. Hello, Miss Greyhaven. It's been a long time. What the fuck do you want, Ardvalos? The vampire tisked. Such language. Is that any way to talk to your new partner? New? Oh my god. He didn't. He did. Ardvalos said, sounding pleased. Mr. Timothy Metropolis sold his 50% share in Seraph Diagnostic Solutions to me last night. He is now a salaried member of my staff. He can't sell unless I agree to it. Unless you are determined to be of unsound mind or otherwise incompetent to continue your duties as CEO, which, in Mr. Metropolis's judgment, you are. Now, you could contest this matter in court. In spite of herself, Lena snorted. Yeah, right. Like I can afford a lawyer to go up against Malcolm Arvalos. Or we can discuss the disposition of our shared company. Obviously, neither of us has a controlling interest, so we can either come to some sort of agreement on Seraph's future direction, or we can sell the company's assets at auction and go our separate ways. Lena's eyes fell on the ledger on her desk. Assets? We don't have enough left to cover the mortgage on the goddamn laboratory. The loss Ardvalos would sustain by dissolving the company would mean nothing to him, especially with their chief researcher already in his employment. For Lena, though, she'd be lucky to get out with the clothes on her back. She sighed. What sort of agreement did you have in mind? Lena looked down at the contract in front of her with a soul-sick dread. This isn't the deal we discussed last year. No, it's not. I'm afraid the net worth of Seraph Diagnostic Solutions has declined rather dramatically since then. Most of what I'd set aside for your compensation package will be needed just to make the company financially solvent again. Of course. She scanned down through the clauses and subclauses, taking it in. You're bringing in a new chief executive. Yes, a caretaker. Mr. Metropolis fears that your business acumen is somewhat lacking. And sadly, recent events seem to confirm that assessment. Please understand, I'm not firing you. You'll still receive a salary and a very generous benefits package. I'm just shifting you over to a new position so we can train you in our corporate culture. She looked down at the paper again. And what does an executive assistant do, Mr. Ardvalos? He smiled, his teeth glistening in the too bright light of his parlor. The job has a wide variety of potential responsibilities. You'll find that it's in your best interest to remain flexible. A chill ran down her spine. How flexible? The vampire cocked his head and looked at her, considering. Your coloration is really quite extraordinary, Miss Greyhaven. You're not Sylvan, are you? She raised her chin and looked back at him. She knew it was coming, but she would not be ashamed of her heritage. No. My mother was human. My father is a moon elf. He let out a low whistle. A moon elf half-breed. You don't see too many of those anymore. We were never what you might call common. The moon elves have always been more discriminating than their brothers to the south. Ardvalos chuckled. So I have heard. He leaned forward and lowered his voice. I've also heard that their blood is as sweet as ice wine. I'd like very much to find out if that's true. There it was. Like a fool, she'd insulted a vampire prince, and now he wanted his revenge. He'd already taken her company, 
her life's work, her partner, even her reputation, and it still wasn't enough. He had to take her body as well. She stared at the contract for what felt like a long time. If I do this, I want your word that my employees will be protected. Guaranteed positions and salary for the next ten years. Full severance for any who opt out, and no turning any of them into your blood puppets. You want your revenge on me? Fine. But you don't take it out on my people. Malcolm Ardvalo smiled. Done. Mr. Metropolis already asked for much the same thing as a condition of his employment. I'll show you the agreement I signed with him. If there's anything else you feel I need to add, name it, and we'll include it on an addendum. She nodded once. Then let's get it over with. Get your lawyer in here with that agreement. Then I'll sign your goddamn contract. Now. Miriam withdrew from the telepathic bond of the sharing, too sickened to see any more. She suspected that Lena's protective amulet had survived about as long as it took for her to sign Malcolm's contract. As for what happened after that, well, the details weren't as important as the result. Please don't be sad, mistress. Lena caressed her cheek and wiped away her tears. Miriam wasn't sure how much blood she had taken, but she was fully healed now, and the half-elf woman didn't seem noticeably worse. I'm sorry, Lena, Miriam said, looking away. I just... what Malcolm did to you. Oh no, mistress, it's all right. Lena touched Miriam's cheek again and gently guided her eyes back to her own. Master Malcolm was stern, and sometimes he seems cruel, but it was really all for the best. Miriam gaped at her. For the best? Yes. I was arrogant and prideful. I wanted to help people, but my motives weren't pure because I wanted the glory for myself. Master Malcolm taught me to accept my true station in life. Her eyes took on a manic gleam, like a woman in spiritual rapture. My purpose is to serve someone greater than me. To give all that I am so that they can be lifted up. I... haven't been able to fulfill that purpose for a long time now. Master Malcolm was displeased with me. But don't you see? In giving me to you, he's given me the chance to fulfill my purpose again. Miriam didn't know what to say. Lena ran her hands fondly over Miriam's skin. I saw your true self, mistress. In the sharing, when you saw into me, I saw into you too. That's how it works. She smiled brilliantly. You are good and kind and you care for the people who are entrusted to you. I know you will never hurt me. She took Miriam's hands in her own and kissed them reverently. I will be the best thrall you could ever ask for, mistress. And maybe... She looked up, her expression suddenly hopeful. Maybe someday I'll even prove myself worthy to receive your blood gift. Miriam had thought that her heart couldn't break any further. She was wrong. You have an extraordinary heart, Saralina Greyhaven, she said, choking back tears. And I will do everything in my power to restore the part of yourself that Malcolm took from you. Lena looked abashed. Mistress, you mustn't say such things. I was wrong. I was... You were magnificent. Malcolm is not your master any longer. If you belong to me, then believe my words, not Malcolm's. Do you understand? Lena trembled. No, mistress. But understanding is not required. Only obedience. Miriam sighed. All right, I can see this is going to take some time. For now, remember this. You are a good and noble soul, and not all of what was taken from you was bad. My job is to remind you of the good in you. Your job is to embrace it. Can you do that for me? Hesitantly, Lena nodded. Yes, mistress. For you, I would do anything. Good. Miriam grabbed the edge of the bed and pulled herself to her feet. Then let's clean off this filth, and then you can help make me presentable for polite society. I've been out of contact with the elders for two days, and I suspect Malcolm will be displeased if I allow them to become suspicious. Sasha entered Danny's cell and found that Rebecca was already there. She and Danny were sitting facing each other, Rebecca on the chair, Danny on the edge of the bed. 
Their hands were linked, and they stared into each other's eyes with the utter stillness of a deep gestalt. Sasha reached out and touched them gently with her mind. Their unified consciousness touched her back, giving her the telepathic equivalent of a warm embrace. Then they disentangled themselves, drawing their minds back into their own heads, and turned to face her. Hey, Sash, Rebecca said, smiling. Sorry to interrupt. I wanted to let you know that the hospital approved your transfer, Danny. You can start work whenever you feel up to it. I also talked to the psi therapists, and they're willing to do the memory reconstruction for you if that's what you want. Danny nodded thoughtfully. Thanks, Sasha. Before I commit to anything, though, I was hoping you could help me talk it over with someone. Sasha shrugged. Of course. Who do you need me to get for you? Danny pointed at her own head. Daniel. That surprised Sasha, but only for a moment. She grinned. You know what they say about talking to yourself, don't you? Yeah, yeah, Danny said, waving her hand in a get-on-with-it gesture. Can you do it or not? Set up a mind link between two halves of an androgyne? Never tried it before, but I don't see why it wouldn't work. Let's give it a shot. She sat down on the bed beside them, slipping her small hand into Danny's larger one. She looked up into Danny's serious blue eyes and smiled encouragingly. I have no idea what this is going to feel like for you, but try to relax and just let it happen, okay? Danny nodded. Rebecca sat back and watched, her gentle, expressive face alight with interest. Sasha closed her eyes and reached out to Danny's mind. Danny opened up to her readily, and Sasha reached past the surface and into the deeper memories shared by her and Daniel. She sensed the second personality that lingered there, not quite conscious but dreaming as it floated amid the records of his life. She reached out and touched it, opening her mind and offering it access to her own brain space. Daniel stirred and awoke, using portions of her brain and Danny's to collect his thoughts and return to full awareness. Hey, Sash, he said, giving her a mental wave. This is a pretty arc idea that Becca came up with, isn't it? Definitely. Seems to be working, though. Give me a sec to pull Danny in here. With the link to Daniel firmly established, Sasha reached back up to Danny's conscious mind and drew her in as well. In a full gestalt, their personalities would have coalesced and united into one, but that wasn't what they needed at this point. Instead, Sasha constructed a psychic plane, a virtual meeting space where they could communicate without losing the distinction between self and other. The space she built was simple, a field of endless black with a floor of glowing white. But there was no need to get fancy for this, and she needed to leave enough of her own brain's processing power available that Daniel could think for himself. Once the plane was in place, Sasha gave a mental tug to Daniel and Danny, and both of them manifested beside her. They appeared like avatars in a VR simulation, forming astral bodies that reflected the way they saw themselves. Daniel was dressed in his skyball uniform from Empire University, his hair shorter and perfectly styled. His gym shorts and close-fitting tank top left little of his gorgeous physique to the imagination. Danny wore a striking red cocktail dress with silk stockings and heels, her hair falling in glossy black waves on either side of a heartbreakingly beautiful face. Two pairs of brilliant blue eyes gazed at each other across an apparent space of maybe two meters. Wow, Daniel said. Wow, yourself. Sasha smirked. Well, it's good to know that neither of you have any self-image problems. The twins laughed at that, <laughs> both of them starting and stopping in the exact same instant. Okay, now that was just creepy. What did you expect? We're both two halves of the same whole. Yeah, about that. I know, sis. Daniel stepped forward and put his hand on her shoulder. You didn't know any better. I forgive you. She nodded, reaching up to cover his hand with her own. And I forgive you for dragging me into this crazy art rehab place. I just wish we could have talked sooner. We have never been much for self-reflection. Other than feeling sorry for ourselves. Oh yes, we've got a lot of practice at that. Practically got it down to an art form. We could teach a class. Advanced pity techniques. And how to screw up your life in six easy steps. Did it take us that many? Dunno, I've lost count. They both smiled. Danny's faded first. Uh, what do you think about this psychic reconstruction thing? Daniel grimaced. I'm not crazy about the idea of letting someone mess with your mind anymore. 
Do you think it's really the best way to help us? Dunno. But that's the only way we've thought of, and I'd rather be doing something than sit around here waiting for Artax to come up with something better. She reached down below her breasts and, unexpectedly, flipped open a hidden panel, exposing a hollow chamber where her insides should have been. Daniel and Sasha both took a step back, and Sasha saw her own shock mirrored on Daniel's face. I make a pretty picture, Daniel, but I'm empty. There's almost nothing on the inside that's really me. She flipped the panel shut again. It melded into the rest of her body, leaving no hint that it had ever been there. She stepped forward and took his hands in hers. I want to be able to be a sister to you. Not just this... this shell of a person living off your memories. If we do this, if we join Brian Cell, then our body's gonna have to be female for a long time. She reached up and touched his cheek. I need you close enough to me that you don't feel trapped by that. But I can't stand next to you if I don't have a sense of myself to stand on. Does that make any sense? Daniel sighed and nodded. He put his hands on her shoulders and leaned forward, touching his forehead against hers. Yeah, I get it. All right, let's do it. If it helps you feel like a real person, it'll be worth it. He paused. Do me a favor, though? She leaned back and looked into his eyes. What's that? He smiled. Make sure you let me in on the gestalts. You were bonding with Rebecca earlier, and I missed that. She blushed. Sorry. I keep forgetting I have to let you out for stuff like that. She shrugged. Actually, I'm not even really sure how to let you out, unless Sasha's there to do the work for me. I'll practice with you. You shouldn't really need me to do it once you see how it works. Danny nodded and smiled back at Daniel. This is pretty nice too, actually. She said, wrapping him in a hug. We should see if this whole meeting of the minds thing will work in VR. She winked. If nothing else, maybe it'll give you a chance to be yourself for a while during those long months of pregnancy and nursing. Daniel blanched, and Danny laughed. (laughs) One step at a time here, okay? I'm still getting used to the idea of you having sex with men. Danny grinned wickedly. What's the matter, bro? Does it make you feel all funny inside, imagining a nice, hard cock sliding all the way up your... Daniel clamped a hand over her mouth. (laughs) Danny giggled like a madwoman, her blue eyes sparkling. You are evil, you know that? She chewed on his hand playfully until he let her go. Takes one to know one. Brat. Doofus. (laughs) (laughs) They laughed in unison again. Have I mentioned how creepy that is? Daniel and Danny embraced again, holding each other tightly. Maybe you'd better take the reins for a while. Just in case there's any trace of, well, whatever it is that was throwing me off balance when Jared was around. Yeah, probably a good idea. I'm sorry it didn't work out with him. I know you loved him. Still do. But I love you and Bex, too. And now that you're here, I don't know how I ever thought I was going to live without you. She smiled ruefully. We only get one chance at this whole life thing, you know? You want to walk through one door, you've got to close another. Daniel nodded. Well, I know one door I want to walk through. Ready to get out of here, sis? Danny kissed him once on the cheek, then stepped back from him. You bet. She straightened and gave him a mock salute. All operations normal, Mr. Shirabi. You may take the con. He grinned and saluted back to her. Thank you, Miss Shirabi. I have the con. Danny faded into the darkness, slipping out of the link and into the back of their shared mind. Sasha dissolved the psychic plane, then she and Daniel disengaged as well. Sasha opened her eyes and saw Daniel sitting on the bed, looking distinctly uncomfortable in Danny's baby doll t-shirt and tight-fitting jeans. Rebecca was trying hard not to laugh. Daniel grimaced. I really wish she would warn me before she does that. Eastside General Hospital, Psychiatric Ward As they entered the waiting room, Daniel was surprised to find another familiar face waiting for him. Fiona, come to share some of that Sathmoran luck with me? Fiona smirked. In light of my recent experiences, I doubt that genetic luck has anything to do with being Sathmoran. No, I'm here for... 
a personal matter of my own. The sudden seriousness in her voice made Daniel's eyebrows go up. Yeah? She nodded once. I fear that I haven't been looking as closely in the mirror as I ought to. Her voice was soft and held unusual humility. There are old wounds that need to be addressed. Daniel put his hand on her elbow, which was about as much intimacy as she usually allowed. Well, hey, sounds like we're sort of in the same boat. If you ever need someone to talk to about it, you know where to find me. He grinned. Probably in the padded cell next to yours. She snorted at that. Then she surprised him by reaching up to cover his hand with her own. I'll be grateful for the company. Then, with a smirk, she added, It will be interesting to see which of us is first to resolve our respective problems. It's always about competition with you, isn't it? Fiona chuckled and spread her hands as if to say, Guilty as charged. She extended her hands toward Daniel, palms up, and he clasped arms with her in the ancient gesture of friendship. Their minds touched each other at the same time, with a warmth and camaraderie that Daniel hadn't felt from Fiona for far too long. For the first time in years, they were on the same playing field, facing the same goal, and victory for one of them was victory for them both. He hadn't realized how much he had missed that feeling until that moment. The door at the back of the waiting room opened and a doctor emerged, smiling at them expectantly. Daniel? Fiona? We're ready for you. Daniel exchanged a look with Fiona. Now comes the hard part. She nodded in silent agreement. After taking a moment to embrace Rebecca and Sasha, they walked toward the door together. How do I look? Lena adjusted the collar of Miriam's blouse and brushed a lock of her hair into place. Like a beautiful living woman, mistress, she said, smiling. Your own doctor wouldn't know the difference. Miriam had removed Lena's chain and given her some of the clothes that they had found in the drawers and closets of the apartment. The pink t-shirt and jean shorts the girl now wore didn't really suit her, but there would be time for shopping later. Braddock had called with her first orders, to re-establish contact with her fellow elders and dispel any suspicions about her disappearance. She reached out for the Hive psychic network and connected to it easily. Several nearby teeps signaled their relief at her safety. They had heard about a subway accident and feared that she had been on board, despite official reports that there had been no casualties. Miriam recognized the cover story for what it was and played along, telling them that she had been injured in the crash but had now made a full recovery. Yes, she had stayed in hiding until her regenerative powers had healed her. No, she didn't think the train had been a deliberate assassination attempt, but she had laid low to avoid taking any chances. They accepted the story without hesitation, obediently passing on her request to meet with the other elders. The response came back within minutes. They would meet her tonight at her office on the Westfall campus. Everyone was a little nervous after the accident, and Westfall was probably the most closely defended site in the collective. Miriam thanked them for their promptness and broke the link. Lena had cocked her head and was looking at her curiously. Are you alright, mistress? You seem to go away there for a minute. I'm fine, dear, thank you. Has the sun set now? Lena nodded. Just a few minutes ago, mistress. Very well. Miriam put on her suit jacket and retrieved her purse, which one of Braddock's thralls had dropped off earlier that afternoon. She pulled out a credit card and handed it to Lena. I'm going out for a few hours. Get on the world net, order yourself some food and more suitable clothes. I'll have your ID card returned so you can run errands for me, but until then we'll have to make do with what we can have delivered. Lena's eyes widened. You, you're going to send me outside? Alone? Miriam shrugged one shoulder. Of course. You are my most important assistant, Saralina Greyhaven. You shall be my eyes and ears in daylight, going where I cannot. Lena began to tremble. I haven't left the tower in so long. I don't even know if I can... Miriam took Lena by the shoulders and looked into her eyes. Immediately, the half-elf went still, her mind opening up to Miriam in total submission. Miriam put a telepathic push behind her words so Lena would accept them. 
You can do this. You are strong and intelligent and capable. I have complete faith in you and your abilities. Be brave, Sarah Lena. You shall not fail me. Miriam broke the link and Lena stood a bit straighter. She nodded once. As you say, mistress. She said, sounding more confident. I won't fail you. Good. You have your orders? Carry on. Lena bowed deeply and went out to the living room to access the WorldNet terminal. Miriam fussed with the cuffs of her jacket a moment longer, wishing that she could still use a mirror. I'll have to invest in a digital camera. It felt strange to be making such plans, but she was in this for the long term. She would play Malcolm's game for now, until she could find some way to subvert the orders her new masters had given her. If Braddock could be killed, it would break the chain of influence they held over her and she would be free. In the meantime, she would learn the inner workings of Malcolm's organization, and try to help Lena however she could. Like it or not, though, her master's orders came first, and first on the list was maintaining the deception. Taking one deep, useless breath to steady herself, she left the apartment and headed for her rendezvous with the elders. Now comes the hard part. May the Great Maker forgive me. We'll be back with more of the Metamore City Podcast, right after these messages. Role-playing gamers. They can be out of touch. I remember thinking Balzeron was the perfect name for a longsword. At least it's not two-handed. They can be obsessive. Princess Leia? Metal bikini? They can be mean. Fairies, a rainbow bridge, isn't this all a little... A little what? A little gay. And they can be just plain weird. Claws, the madness, the insanity, the giant tentacles. Come witness the true life adventures of four gamers and their crazy antics on Dice Jockeys, the web-only gaming sitcom. Visit DiceJockeys.com, that's D-I-C-E-J-O-C-K-I-E-S, or MySpace slash Dice Jockeys. Crazy, weird, and nerdy, just like you. So you're nomosexual. Well, maybe not. Corey showed up at the orphanage two years ago, unable to remember how he'd gotten there. He spoke a language no one recognized, and he was afraid of cars and planes and computers. Corey can remember snippets of another life, but no matter how hard he tries to remember, it just keeps slipping away. Then one day he meets a faunus in an orange grove. She's from a world called Panamandora, and he can understand her language. In addition, Corey can read a language that no one in Panamandora has been able to read for 300 years. Has he really been gone that long? Now he must recover his lost memories and rebuild his life, because the person who tried to kill him once is about to try again. I'm Abigail Hilton, and my novel, The Prophet of Panamandora, is for listeners 13 and older. The book is a free download at patiobooks.com or iTunes. For artwork, maps, and additional information, visit www.panamandora.com. That's P-A-N-A-M-I-N-D-O-R-A-H.com. Hi, this is Arthur Wright, responsible for most of the art of Minimore City, including the giant phallic symbol that serves as its logo. If you like what you see, you can reach me at noblebearaw at hotmail.com, and you are listening to the Metamore City Podcast. Thanks very much, Art. And we are back, ladies and gents, and going to keep it short this time. I am now closing in on midnight Pacific time, and this episode was supposed to drop at midnight Eastern time, so I really want to hurry up and get this out just as quickly as I can for the benefit of all of my listeners who are actually staying up late waiting for this thing. I want to give a special thanks to our new voice actors for this episode. In addition to hearing our usual cast members, you also heard Scott Roche, as the voice of Timothy Metropolis. Scott Roche is, of course, the creator of the Archangel series of podcast novels, which you can find over at spiritualtramp.com. And he's also one of my editors for Metamore City. So if you are appreciating the fact that you're listening to this episode now, thanks, Scott, and also Paulette Jackson of Form Letter Rejection Theater. That's flrtpodcast.com. 
because this episode would not have gone live anywhere close to on time if it weren't for their tireless efforts. So thank you very much, Scott, for both your editing work and for stepping in at the last minute when I needed somebody to play the role of Timothy for this episode. So thank you very much. You guys rock. I also want to especially thank Paulette for her hard work on this episode because we had a lot of missed lines, a lot of retakes, a lot of lines that got into us at the last minute, um, some lines that needed to be constructed syllable by syllable from various takes in order to sound right, and Paulette just gave it her all, never complained once, and did a totally awesome job with it. So... Paulette, you rock. I know I've said it before, but it's still true. You rock. And special thanks also to TD0013 and Christiana Ellis and Danny Cutler, all of whom had to give us last-minute retakes on a number of lines in order to get this thing out and on time. And lastly, I want to spank our... I mean... (laughs) I'm going to leave that in there. I want to thank our last actress for this episode, Cunning Minx, who came in and did that little cameo at the end as the doctor, and uh, you're going to hear more from her in the next episode, so keep an ear out for that, because when she was uh, visiting my house a few months ago, I asked her, hey, can you come and record this part for me real quick while you're here, and so she went upstairs and into the studio and recorded it for me, so... That was fun, and I'm really glad to get her in there for another bit part, even if it was just briefly. To have uh, Minx back in the world of Metamore City was a lot of fun. Okay, folks, feedback. If you would like to send in your thoughts about the show, and a lot of you have been, including Nobilis with his little uh, commentary to me at the end of that story so far, which just made me laugh my evil laugh over and over again. If you would like to send in your own thoughts about the show, you can call in to our voicemail line, which is 206-203-0994. That is 206-203-0994. You can also email your comments in voice or text to feedback at metamorecity.com. You can leave messages on the blog at metamorecity.com. You can join our Facebook group, Fans of Metamore City. Or you can contribute to our fan-driven forums, which are over at thecursed.org. We've got some discussions going on there, some free-form role-playing. Check it out, it's pretty cool. Dan Sawyer and Kitty Nakian and I are going to be doing another feedback show probably early in February, so go ahead and get in those voicemails as soon as you can, and emails so that we can comment on them. We've been getting a lot of positive feedback about the feedback shows, so I'm looking forward to continuing to do those. We've also been getting some great feedback about the sex roundtable that Dan and Pip and I did back at the beginning of January. Two of those parts of that three-part roundtable have now appeared on the feeds for Metamorph City and Antithesis. The third installment is set to go out fairly soon here, as soon as Dan gets the chance to edit it. He's working right now on finishing up his next novel, and so we've got to give him time to get that wrapped up. But expect for that next and final episode of the Roundtable to appear very shortly. For now, I'm going to go ahead and get out of here, and I will talk to you guys again in two weeks. So until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. Some of the music on this podcast was provided by the Podshow Podsafe Music Network at music.podshow.com. Some sound effects were provided by SoundSnap at soundsnap.com, while others were provided by the Freesound Project, located at freesound.iua.upf.edu. Metamore City is released under a Creative Commons Attribution Sharealike 3.0 license, Find out more at creativecommons.org.
Good evening, Ms. Baktavar. No, it's not Baktavar, it's Baktavar. Nah, but... <clears throat> nah, nah. It's Dick Cheney as a vampire, which is not a stretch. And then to this end. Dyslexic? <laughs> Did I say it that way? You said to this end. It's to end to this. The, oh, yeah. God, sorry. Yeah. <clears throat> All right. Comes the vampires. Oh, I hate this part. <laughs> I don't want to even do this one. I don't, I don't, I don't. Oh, 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 oh. No. Get up. Move. Punt. Run. I'm sorry. That was. I thought it said punt. Yeah, punt. <laughs> <laughs> I think I need my glasses checked. What? Oh, God, that's funny. Three now. All right, one more time. Danny doesn't know how to be Danny. And Daniel's memories are too different for her. Dude, you forgot a two in here. I have to type it in. Two. Kai. The uber nemesis does not make mistakes like that. I find your lack of faith disturbing. Sorry. Um, right. Oh, wait a minute. Incoming! Okay. Let's, um, let's go for the highbrow again and let's try this again. <clears throat> yeah, turn 40. And now I can't read the fucking lines. I'm old. Girl, you're an old fart, Morris. Face it. There we go. 18 point large type. I like it that way. All right. Except Jetted. I think it's very appropriate that I should say it right now. She went to Jetted. Um, all right. It's okay. <laughs> I thought it was funny. She extended her hands toward Daniel, palms up, and he clasped. Fucking word clasped. <sighs> okay. I can do this. It's only one word. 